Greetings, and welcome to At Home with Economics. I'm your host, Bo Garcia, Dean of Community Education and Workforce Development at Lansing Community College. At Home with Economics is a space where we explore business, workforce, and community development initiatives and how they impact our daily lives. Today, we'll be speaking with economist and renowned author, Dr. Charles Ballard. Dr. Ballard has been on the economics faculty at Michigan State University since 1983 when he received his Ph.D. from Stanford University. In 2007, he won the Outstanding Teacher Award in MSU's College of Social Science. From 2007 until 2020, he was director of the State of the State Survey in MSU's Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. He currently serves as chair of the board of directors of the Michigan League for Public Policy. He has served as a consultant with the U.S. Departments of Agriculture, Health and Human Services, and Treasury, and with research institutes in Australia, Denmark, and Finland. His books include Michigan at the Millennium and Michigan's Economic Future. Dr. Ballard, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, you know, certainly look forward to a conversation with you, especially during these highly transitional times in our global, national, state, regional economies, so many variables at play, and, and we just appreciate your time. So, you know, Dr. Ballard, earlier this week, Goldman Sachs uh, shared that they were projecting a 38% chance of a recession within the next two years. What do you believe uh, needs to happen to avoid something like that? Well, uh, there's there's good news as well as bad news in that projection. They say 38% chance of a recession within the next two years, that means that there's a 62% chance of not having a recession within the next two years. Uh, So I'm cautiously optimistic, uh, but um, what needs to happen to avoid that? Well, uh, right now, we're seeing some inflation, and I think we'll get an opportunity to talk about the inflation a little bit later. But um, the Federal Reserve is uh, taking steps to try to uh, reduce that inflation. And the way they do that is to restrict credit. Mm -hmm. Um, They... um, uh, they're trying to do that in a um, orderly manner, uh, and in the best case scenario, they'll be able to squeeze some of the inflation out of the economy without tipping the economy into a recession. Hmm. That's not an easy thing to do uh, because uh, we know the historical experience. A lot of times, when uh, most notably in 1979 and 80 and 81. The Federal Reserve put on the brakes to stamp out inflation, and it did stamp out inflation, but it also caused a deep recession. So mm-hmm. we'll see. On the others, the other thing that I think is so important, remember mm-hmm. that a lot of this inflation is caused by shortages um, due to supply interruptions that have been caused by COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, the more people we can get vaccinated all around the world, the more we can uh, conquer COVID, mm-hmm. the more we can get, we'll, we'll be able to get back to normal in terms of the economy. That is tremendous. So to a significant degree, there's cause and effect in relation to, you know, COVID outcomes, supply chain and, and, uh, and the, the, uh, the inflation, et cetera. So yeah, never, a never a missed link in along that chain. Um, now, God forbid, if, if, and when there was a recession, uh, what strengths and weaknesses do you think that the Mid-Michigan region in particular has 
that would help it, you know, get, get through, uh, possibly one. Well, um, you say the mid Michigan region, um, but remember the region is made up of hundreds of thousands of individual people. Mm-hmm. My sense, if we have a recession and I certainly hope we won't have one, but if we do, uh, unfortunately it's likely to be similar to past recessions in that those who are up at, at the top of the skill distribution will weather it pretty well. Mm-hmm. The people who are most vulnerable um, are the less skilled workers. And I know that uh, you at Lansing Community College are, are uh, part of this um, big effort to improve the skills of our workforce mm-hmm. because workers workers who have special skills, they're going to be able to find employment even in a downturn. The, mm-hmm. the people who are most vulnerable are the people who, uh, in, in many cases, they have, have not finished high school, or if they've finished high school, they don't have anything beyond that. And their, their employment opportunities in this modern dynamic economy of ours are more limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we've got a lot of strength in that we're a more skilled population than we were a generation ago. Mm-hmm. I'd like us to become even yet more skilled. Well, you know, so you're right. It, it gets, uh, it comes down to upskilling and, and growing and investing in your own education. And, and even for those who may, uh, may feel that, you know, well, I, I've been at work all, all my career and, and have no education. Well, you know, at, at institutions of higher education, there are opportunities for, you know, credit for prior learning. So there's a tremendous opportunity to come back and, and, uh, have the experience that, uh, individuals of, had working considered uh, for academic credit to help them move them along, uh, perhaps a path for a one-year certificate or two-year associate's degree, et cetera. So there's always an opportunity uh, for, for upskilling and, and uh, gaining um, uh, uh, value out of your experience. So thank you. That's, a, that's a, an encouraging uh, uh, a position. Uh, speaking of that, you know, what, uh, what, what discouraging or, or encouraging trends do you see emerging in the economy that uh, may, may, should, should give us confidence or perhaps cause for concern in the future? Well, you ask about discouraging trends and encouraging trends, and, and let me start with encouraging. Uh, our economy is, has continued to grow. Even uh, after the uh, shutdowns of two years ago, uh, our economy, the national economy, the Michigan economy, are are now bigger than they were pre-COVID. Um, we're continuing to add several hundred thousand jobs a month nationally uh, to our uh, employment roles, and and that's really a continuation of a very long trend. Mm-hmm. The American economy has been a, an engine of growth. Um, and I see no reason that that will uh, stop. Um, the the discouraging, trend, and this really goes back over the last 40 years or so, the discouraging trend is that all the economic growth that we've had in those last several decades, most of the fruits of that have gone to people who are in the top half, mm-hmm. uh, and especially those who are in the, the top 10%, the top 1% of our 
um, income distribution. Uh, the, the CEOs, the uh, uh, the superstars, um, the uh, the attorneys, the accountants, the the doctors, mm-hmm. and frankly, people like me, PhDs in economics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people who have done very well, and yet the nurse's assistant, mm-hmm. the the man who installs the drywall, those folks have not fared nearly as well. In many cases, their incomes have uh, not grown or have even shrunk in some cases. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things that I have uh, beaten the drum about a great deal over the years is my concern that we're we're more unequal in terms of the how we distribute the riches of this land, more unequal than I think we should be. And I think we should continue to make lots and lots of efforts to help um, ordinary folks. The Those at the top, I don't think they need a whole lot more help. They're doing well. Um, but it's the, the, uh, the bottom half of Michigan's people, of the United States people, th- those are the ones for whom I have the greatest concern and sympathy. Mm, great point. Having a, a balanced... You know, population mitigates the risk of, you know, recession, inflation, adverse impact at a kind of a unilateral level. So it's it, it's good for quality of life and it's great for the economy. Thank you. Um, to the point, you know, Michigan's experienced some pretty solid economic gains as of late. Uh, we've all been reading. And what can be done to kind of continue that trend, uh, if you will, uh, across any spectrum? Well, uh, you know, if you if you've been having successes, uh, continue to to do some of the things that you've been doing. Uh, you know, we've talked about education and skill, and uh, mm-hmm. even though I don't think we're where we need to be, I think we've made uh, strides in in that direction. Um, we one big story in Michigan over the last really half century or even more is. We used to have a very undiversified economy, very heavily into manufacturing in general and auto industry in particular. Mm-hmm. We still, those are still the most important sectors in our economy, but they're less so. Mm-hmm. Um, they have shrunk in relative size, and 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 so we have a more diversified economy. And so I think that even though I'm, I want to hold on to our manufacturing. I also want to do all we can to find uh, new industries. There, there are emerging industries, um, some of them right here in the Lansing area, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, biotechnology, bioengineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, the information technology sector is continuing to just explode. Uh, and if we can grab more of the growth, mm-hmm. you know, like in IT, we know that the Silicon Valley in California and the Boston area and the Austin, Texas area, we know that those places are booming with IT. The more that we can get a lot of that stuff to happen in Michigan, the better off we'll be. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That type of um, organic growth as well as business attraction, diversification of our state's economy, regional economy. You know, to your point, again, a nice balanced approach so that we're not uh, entirely too dependent upon any particular industry and, again, making us particularly vulnerable for uh, 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 any type of uh, uh, economic downturn, uh, giving us a better shot of, of uh, weathering any type of storm. So thank you. That's excellent. Excellent version. Um, inflation. Could you share your thoughts 
And uh, the recent rate of inflation, it's everywhere in the news um, and in the papers. A lot of folks are just so concerned about it. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the concern is, is legitimate uh, because um, inflation, um, it, it worries people. E- even, even if you get a raise in your income that's fast enough to offset the inflation, I think uh, people just don't like the disruption that comes with seeing prices rise. So where did the inflation come from? Uh, well, actually, a lot to a lot of economists, the remarkable thing is that we didn't get inflation earlier because you get in, you get inflation, you get prices rising either because demand is really strong. People have money and they want to buy stuff mm-hmm. and they're and they're pushing up the prices because they want to buy stuff or because the supply is limited uh, and there's just not enough to go around for the people who want to buy. Mm-hmm. Well, we have in the United States, we have had extraordinarily expansionary fiscal and monetary policies for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. We have pumped money into people's pockets. We have, I mean, a big part of it is that we um, have had tax cuts, but a lot of government spending. So the mm-hmm. federal government is running enormous deficits. Mm-hmm. Well, that's partly to stimulate demand. Mm-hmm. And you might think that would be inflationary, but yet for all those years, it d- prices didn't rise, and that's because the supply chain was so efficient. The growth of the Chinese economy and, and the production of low-cost goods, uh, the development of new technologies in the energy sector, um, it, the, the improvement of the efficiency of supply chains, the supply was able to keep up with the demand. Well, in the last two years, the the stimulus checks and all that stimulus checks enhanced unemployment insurance pumped money into people's pockets they had money to spend mm-hmm. but because of the covid there were restrictions on what they might be able to buy there were a lot of things that you could just couldn't do you know you you, you used to just think not getting on an airplane and going somewhere now we do think about that mm-hmm. uh, and so there were supply restrictions but there was plenty of demand plenty of p- money to spend but mm-hmm. interruptions in what they could spend on and that is a formula for inflation now i wish we hadn't passed some of the tax cuts that we passed years ago mm-hmm. and i wish that we had been a little bit more targeted with the stimulus checks mm-hmm. but that's that's history that i can't unravel <laughs> And so I think what we're likely to see is uh, some continued inflation. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's likely to accelerate. I think there's a good chance that it will moderate over the next year. Um, But there's a lot of question marks about it Mm -hmm. for reasons that we referred to earlier. Mm -hmm. How will the Federal Reserve's policy go? How will they be able to, to... tap the brakes without stomping on the brakes and tipping us into a recession. And also, all of the supply interruptions that we've seen from COVID, will we be able to rebuild those supply chains? And how fast will we be able to rebuild those supply chains? If we can do it, the the better we can do it, the more we will see a moderation of inflation. But, uh, you know, my crystal ball is kind of cloudy because uh, there are so many factors in play 
and uh, hard to tell exactly. Uh, if I were to put out my best guess, it'll be that inflation will moderate, but I think mm-hmm. it'll take a, take years before we got to the 1% inflation that was so common in the 90s and in this in this century. Mm-hmm. Wow. That was incredibly insightful. Thank you. I mean, some variables, controllable. Many uncontrollable variables. You know, um, so many dynamics in place, you know, globally, nationally. I mean, thank you. That was... Here's that one. Was, yeah. It was in the news just yesterday. There's a new strain of avian flu and... Uh, I think the latest number is that 23 million chickens have died. Um, They've either died of this new strain of flu or they have um, uh, been uh, put down by to to try to stop the spread of the flu. Well, what does that mean? That means that there's going to be upward pressure on the price of chickens Mm -hmm. and upward pressure on the price of eggs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, you know, that's one of those things that happen that we couldn't forecast with with any precision but it's going to have an effect well again just one of those one more variable to consider that just come out of the blue that just have to be um, uh, contended with and mitigated and uh wow such a uh so much forecasting needs to go into all these um decisions. Let's revisit for for a final question, please. Something you mentioned earlier about economic inequality. Could you, do you have any additional thoughts you could share on the widening economic inequality that we've seen over the last 40 years? Yes, I I would like to to do that. Uh, And the, the main point that I want to make is that, you, you know, you, you, we've talked about things that were unexpected, but the the widening inequality of the last 40 years um, was not really an accident. It was not really a surprise. It was the it was the result in large part of policies um, that we have enacted. Um, and I want to go back um, a, a little bit farther into American history. Uh, I think most Americans are aware that we've had widening inequality in the last 40 years, mm-hmm. but that great divergence, as it's called, is no bigger than a, than a movement in the opposite direction that happened, especially in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s. Mm-hmm. The great convergence. There was a huge decrease in income inequality in the early and middle decades of the 20th century. And then we turned around. Well, those those trends are too big to have just been accidents. Mm-hmm. They're largely the result of policies. And back in the early part of the 20th century, we had phenomenal increase in educational opportunity. Mm-hmm. We had um, very progressive tax system. We had the Fair Labor Standards Act, which established a minimum wage. We had the National Labor Relations Act, which made it easier for labor unions to organize. The list goes on and on. The Progressive Era and New Deal policies, mm-hmm. if you want to simplify them, they were designed to help the average citizen. Mm-hmm. And they did. And then about 40 years ago, we reversed. We slowed down on the rate of increase of educational opportunity. Right. We reversed the trend in progressive taxation. 
Mm-hmm. We uh, labor unions are much weaker than they were. Uh, the minimum wage in real terms is 25% less than it was in 1968. And again, the list goes on and on. One policy after another. 80 years ago, we were passing policies that were really helpful to the broad mass of the population. In the last 40 years, so many of our policies have been very helpful to those at the top, but not so much for the average citizen. And, you know, you can tell by my tone of voice, if it were up to me, Mm -hmm. I would... um, increase the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. I would uh, expand the earned income tax credit. Mm -hmm. I would expand educational opportunity. Mm -hmm. I would make our tax system more progressive and so on Mm -hmm. Uh, with the aim of helping out the little guy just as Mm -hmm. much as we help out the CEO. Mm -hmm. Right on. Wow. That was phenomenal. I mean, that was, that was, first of all, I just want to thank you for one of the most informative and safe conversations I've had in, 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 in quite some time. And, uh, Dr. Bale, thank you so much for being our guest today and sharing your expertise and insight with our community. Greatly appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. And it's, it's a pleasure to be on your program. And thank you for reaching out to me. This has been your host, Bo Garcia. Thank you for the pleasure and privilege of your time. You can listen to LCC Connect programming on 89.7 FM Saturdays at 1 p.m. and Sundays at 6 p.m. Have a tremendous day. 